Hi. You know, I didn't ever intend that my obnoxious greetings uh, to be super helpful. It's just try to inspire you, get you excited. I say things like hi or ahoy. But you know, when we're clipping the audio every week, the fact that I start by saying some obnoxious hi makes it really easy to know where to clip it because on the audio it spikes and right at the beginning, like hi. So from now on, feel free as soon as I'm all up, just make the most loud obnoxious noise because it helps whoever's editing the audio later, okay? Practice, go ahead. <laughs> wow, that was really good. Someone over there really nailed it. I'm excited about that. Also, never do that again. People will leave. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, uh, who knows what this is? Did anyone have one of these? This toy is older than bread, right? Who never had this toy? Raise your hand. I'm so sorry for your upbringing. But every church nursery had one of these. We probably have four right now, right? Where are my church nursery people? Yes, like they're everywhere. And then you buy them and you don't have all the pins and you're bowling. Uh, raise your hand if you were ever a part of a bowling league. Wow, Grandma, really? Huh. Hold on, let's do that again. I'm a little, I was expecting two or three. Raise your hand if you were ever a part of a bowling league. Wow, okay. It's so fascinating. Robert Putnam wrote a book um, back in the 90s. It's, uh, the, well, actually, it's about 25 years ago now. Um, it was called Bowling Alone. Raise your hand if you've heard of this book, Bowling Alone. That's okay. You were in bowling league, so you'll get it. Putnam's book was based on research about the deterioration of community in American culture. He had about some 500,000 interviews over a quarter of a century that he was looking at in research. And the research, this is in the late 90s, the research suggested that as a culture we sign fewer petitions, we belong to fewer organizations, we know our neighbors less, we meet with friends less frequently, and we even socialize with our families less, less often. We're bowling alone was his argument. And this is what started all for him. He noticed that, oh my gosh, there are, in the, in the 1990s, there are more than twice as many bowlers as in the 80s, but there's significantly less bowling leagues. Catch that. Tons more people are bowling. Everybody's throwing this big heavy sphere down the lane to crush these little pins. Right? Everyone's doing that. But there's less leagues. They're doing it alone. Thus the title, catchy title of the book. It's a catchy title. You can shake your head yes. That's okay. Bowling alone. Here's a quote from Robert Putnam. As Americans increasingly live their lives in isolation, our social fabric starts to fray. Before the iPhone, before Netflix, before social media, Robert Putnam saw that we were bowling alone, we were isolating, we were gathering less, we had less community, and it was destroying us, it was hurting us. <gasps> so interesting. New York Times put out an article back in uh, 2018, then one in 2021, and then most recently one in 2023, and they're talking about the loneliness epidemic. If you watch any news source, you've heard of this, right? Shake your head yes. You've heard of the idea of the loneliness epidemic. And maybe if you've not heard that phrase, you're familiar with it because it's all over our culture. The United States Surgeon General. What's their name? Do you know? What's the name? It's Vivek Murthy. Who knows old Vivek Murthy? It's okay. He's the United States Surgeon. Yeah, there you go. Our doctor knows him. 
Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. So he says that our country's experiencing an epidemic of loneliness driven by the accelerated pace of life and the spread of technology into all of social interactions. With this acceleration, efficiency and convenience have edged out the time-consuming messiness of real relationships. The result is a public health crisis. Say health crisis. A public health crisis on the scale to the point of opioid epidemic and obesity. Opioid epidemic and obesity. That's what our Surgeon General compares this to. It's there. Here's a direct quote from Dr. Vivek Murthy. Loneliness is as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and more lethal than consuming six alcoholic drinks a day. Now, you might just be like, nah-uh. I'm alone and I love it. I'm introverted. I need my books and my tea and nobody. That might be where you're at. Here's where research from your country, from countries all over the world, would stand against that belief. So right now, if you Google loneliness epidemic, you will find 2023, a whole website by our Surgeon General and their whole department. It's a fancy website designed beautifully. It scrolls and has a little flower that moves. It's like, I'm going to guide you through this little thing. And so you go through it and it's basically telling you all the dark statistics in a happy way. But it's basically, it turns out that humans are lonely, that we're struggling, and it's growing more and more. What this website will tell you and the statistics they're pulling from 2018, 2015, 2020, 2022, so it's not just the pandemic. Don't, don't let that fool you. This is both before and after. Uh, here's a glimpse of some of those. It should be on the screen. Poor social relationships, social isolation, and loneliness can increase your risk of heart disease by... 29%. And your risk of stroke by 32%. This isn't suicide. The suicide research is off the map. That's awful. Depression, anxiety, suicide, that's mental illness, that's a complete... This is just your human health, right? Just heart disease and risk of stroke. Up 29%, up 32%. People with strong perceptions of community, belongingness, are 2.6 times, not percent, they're 2.6 times more likely to report of good, excellent health than people with low sense of belongingness. Here's in short, directly quoted from this, uh, from our Surgeon General resource that's put out, direct quote, humans are wired for social connection. Say wired for social connection. Humans are wired for social connection, but we've become more isolated over time. Social connection is as essential to our long-term survival as food and water. But today, loneliness is more widespread than other major health issues in the U.S. Social connection significantly improves the health and well-being of all individuals. We're all lonely and sad. Welcome to church. This is meaningful. It's meaningful that we talk about this. Uh, There's so much research that I had to remove from this for time's sake, but it's crazy how this goes. And then here we're talking about baby dedication and and being together and how we're making a mutual commitment. You guys are saying something. We're saying it as parents. We're all agreeing, hey, this is important. Something's important here. Robert Putnam's research suggested, hey, we've always needed a sense of community. Like this is the fabric of humanity. The relational soul, uh, it's called the relational soul by James Cofield and Richard Plass, they said, what does loneliness tell us? Be it chronic or acute, slight or significant, loneliness is proof of our relational design. At the core of our being is this truth we are designed for and defined by our relationships. We were born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot 
not be relational. They go on in their book to argue that all reality is relationship. And, and, and you can actually look at this, whether you look at quantum physics or you look at the smallest thing in the universe or the biggest thing in the universe, everything exists in relationship with something else, right? Science geeks, come find me and tell me how something exists by itself, for itself, and has no bearing relationship with anything else. You can't, right? Um, or it's a very sad, depressing thing at the very least. But in general, we can decide everything is in relationship with something else. They would say God has a life-giving relationship with the universe, and the universe has a life-dependent relationship with the Lord. Colossians 1.17 reminds us, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The Lord knows that we are all built for relationships. Let me pause for a sec. I'll come back over here and start that sentence again. Those of you who are really concerned that we're supposed to be going through John, I'm so sorry. I forgot to mention this at the beginning. We're taking a break from John today. Don't be concerned. We'll get back to John tomorrow. Some of you are like, oh, okay. Oh, gosh, I'm so concerned. We read John 1. We're going to come back to John 1. We're going to spin off of John 1 a little bit and come back to that. You good? Okay, come back over here. God knew that we were designed for relationships because he designed us. And from the very beginning... God shows us in his word that he is in a perfect web of relationships with himself. He says in Genesis 1.27, let us create man in our image. And the more you read scripture, you understand that God created out of his web of relationships, that God was always making a relationship. Dr. Gary Brashear says, God is a family who makes family. Let's say that together. God is a family who makes family. That's what's always been happening. God is love. Isn't that interesting? We pull those verses from 1 John and say, God is love. And we love that idea that God is love, but we don't stop to realize you can't love apart from relationship. Fundamentally, love is commitment and sacrifice. If you have nothing to commit to and nothing to sacrifice to, you're not loving. And so if God is love, he's in a perfect relationship with himself and with us. Isn't that interesting? As you know the story, as we've talked about several times in Genesis 3, so God creates us in a perfect right relationship with him. He's in a right relationship with himself, and he creates us in his image to have a right relationship with him. And we decide, no, 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 we don't want that. We have a scarcity mentality. We say, uh, the, the serpent says, did God really say? Are you, are you really not supposed to do that? And I, man, we can unpack all sorts of temptation there. How many of you have that in your life where, where some lie whispers into your head? More on that in a couple weeks when we talk about the devil being the father of lies. But lies whisper in our head and say, hey, did God really say this? Is God really going to take care of you? Can you really trust those people? Man, insert all the psychology of attachment theory here. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust others. You can't trust, you can't trust anything. You can't have healthy attachments. Why? Did God really say? And this forms a scarcity mentality. And the rest of the scroll of Genesis and the rest of the book of the, or the rest of the Bible is people killing each other, fighting. In fact, people who are much more smart than me and, and way beyond my pay grade, but they talk about in sociology, they'll write about the difference between community and tribalism, right? Tribalism is based off a scarcity mentality. Um, not the tribalism that some people talk about now where you need to have your tribe. Like, that's a different thing. But tribalism historically is based off of kill or be killed, your culture, your tribe, we must survive, we must fight. And so there's a lot of fighting, uh, tribal wars. That's where we get some of these concepts of, of tribal war in general. This is these fighting. Um, the tribal people are at war again because they're tense. But community that we see in scripture, a right relationship, there's not death, there's not fighting, there's not scarcity. But after we were deceived, we decided, no, no, no. 
I'm going to eat the fruit. I'm going to go against God because I want what I want for me. It's about me. I can't trust God. I got to trust myself. I know better than God. I'm in charge. Then you see a ripple of sin and death and brokenness. So much so, we could talk a ton this morning about the sin and brokenness in our world. We could talk about the things going on in Israel. We could talk about how scary it is raising children in this environment. We could talk about uh, the public school system or or the brokenness in societies or or how you can't even go to Walmart without seeing these things or you can't turn on Disney Plus without seeing these things. It's everywhere. It's all all broken. Yeah, the Bible told us that. That's what was going to happen. That's the natural end. Brokenness, death, that's the pattern. But we get to Abraham and God says, I'm going to make a great name out of you. I'm going to pull you in. Right? And we have a whole song about it. You can sing it. Yeah, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are me. So am I, just me. No, so are you. Right? So let's praise the Lord. We're all sons of Abraham. Woohoo! We're all children of Abraham. That was the idea. God was bringing them together. We talked about that last week a little bit, how Israel was God's chosen people for the world. Here's what's interesting. The Bible is about community, is about relationship. We love the heroes of the Bible. Uh, Take a minute here, Um, literally 22 seconds. Who's your favorite character in the Bible? Who's a hero of your faith in the Bible? List one, throw them out. David, who said David? Yeah, dude, David's my dude. Who, uh, because I'm named like him, you know what I mean? Anyway, who else? Caleb? Ooh, deep cut. Who else? Jacob? Jesus, oh, two weeks in a row, Simon, gotcha. He knows it. What, who else? Who's going to top Jesus? Esther. Right. So here's the thing. I want us to catch this. Think of your favorite Bible character. Think of who they are, void of Israel or the world or the community around them. They're nothing. There is no story. It's a faithful person who worshiped God. That's it. And that's, I'm not reducing that. I'm not saying that's not enough. But what did God call each of those people to? You look at these relationships, Abraham, Moses, King David, Elijah, the prophets. They're not for themselves. Catch this. They're for God's people. King David is not King David without a kingdom. He's just a faithful shepherd boy. That's it. And God pulls him into something else. Moses is nothing but a killer of Egyptian workers, right? A coward. God pulls him into something else, and it's not for him. We did this whole thing up here a couple years ago where I had someone come up and we did this whole story about uh, Luke Skywalker and and all this. And we said, hey, that's what we want. That's the human arc. We want to be Luke Skywalker. We want to be Aragorn. We want to, to bear the heroic story. You're not King David. You are not Esther. You are not the hero of the story. King Jesus is the hero. King Jesus is the hero. And before we get all Western individual on that and get tense about that, What a relief. Can you handle being the hero of your own story? You're going to die. Have you hedged all your bets and settled everything so you can look back and say you did it all right and you left your kids or your grandkids or, or whoever with all the right things? Did you do all the stuff? No, you're not the hero. King Jesus is the hero. And as a parent, listen to me, as, as, a, as a, a, a married couple, as whatever, how refreshing is it to find out you're not your kid's hero? You're just pointing them to who the hero is. That's your goal. Because you're going to make mistakes. And you get to say, hey, anything good you see in me, it's because there is a father who's even better. There is someone else who's even better. Jesus comes along and he teaches in Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Hear this. 
Jesus lived in a community. Jesus came and gathered people in a community. Think about it with me. What kind of people were in Jesus' community? Just do with me a thumbs up or thumbs down. Are they thumbs up kind of people or thumbs down kind of people? Are they your kind of people you want to hang out with? I see you not putting your thumbs up or down. You're scared of being wrong. They're not great people. Watch the chosen, right? Like these people are like scalawags. There's tension. There's arguing. Just that when uh, in Matthew, when he lists the disciples, he, uh, he goes on to, he gives a couple of them more uh, information, like pronouns with themselves. And he goes on to say like, hey, uh, um, this is Simon the zealot, right? And then you have Matthew the tax collector. So if you don't know, tax collectors literally said, um, I'm not going to do this Jewish thing anymore. I want Rome to fill my pockets. So I'm going to reject you and go become an employee of Rome who's literally crushing you. That's me. Zealots are like, hey, we're going to kill people in the name of Yahweh. We're just going to go forget this whole love your neighbors. And we're just going to stab people in the neck secretly, Assassin's Creed style, because we want them to know that, that we are going to gain power and authority through secretly killing people, right? Imagine coffee around the campfire of Jesus' disciples. Good morning, traitor. Please don't kill me, zealot. Like, come on, Jesus is in a community of tense people, of people who, who were skipped over. We've talked about that with discipleship, how they weren't, they weren't called to be Talmudim, to be disciples of disciples of rabbi. They were passed up, and Jesus collects them and calls them in community. God has always been about a right relationship with us, us, us. That's sign language for us. In a community, a people together. Jesus sets the standard with his life for what it means to be human. It means to be in a community. And he sums up all the law and prophets by not just saying, love God and do what he says. Is that what Jesus says when he sums up the law and prophets? No, he says there's one command. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the next command is actually exactly like it. It's so intrinsically tied to it that in Greek we've got to make sure you understand that they're one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the next one? Love your neighbor as yourself. What it means to be human per Jesus, the perfect human, the Son of God, is to love the Lord by loving other people. And to love other people, you love the Lord. You can't possibly love the Lord unless you love other people. You can't possibly love other people unless you're loving the Lord. Which means, if you have someone in your life that you love, look around. This service is about people we love and care about. You have people you love, you're thinking about family members, you're thinking about girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever you're thinking about right now. You can't possibly love them to the degree you're created to if you don't know King Jesus. You can't possibly love them if you don't know Jesus because God is love. Jesus is God. And Jesus teaches us what it looks like to love. In Mark 3.35, Jesus says, Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister. He uses a, uh, a Greek word here, adelphoi. Say adelphoi. Adelphoi. It's used 342 times in the New Testament. It's the most common moniker for followers of Jesus. Do you know what it means? Family, brothers and sisters. That's what the word means. The most common moniker for people following Christ in the early church we have is brothers and sisters, a family. Christ is bringing people together. Back to John 1, 12 through 13 that Kyle read for us. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but they were born of God 
Ephesians 2.13 reminds us, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you've gone away. You haven't followed God. You're not a part of it. You're a Gentile, whatever it is, or or maybe you've uh, idolatrized, you've pulled yourself away. Whoever were far off have been brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. Not by man's blood were you brought forward, but the blood of God shed through the man Jesus Christ. By faith alone you are saved, by Christ alone. We've, we've used this slide a lot, we're going to use it again so you catch it. You are saved from your sin, rebellion, death, and eternal separation from the Lord through your faith in King Jesus. Say, by faith alone in Jesus alone. Say it this time like you mean it. By faith alone in Jesus alone. By his life, death, and resurrection. But it's not just what you're saved from. It's also what you're saved for. Otherwise, God would say, oh, thank you, Tom. Up into heaven, done. That's not even how that works. But, but that's, he's just, boom, you don't need to live here anymore. No, no, no. We're saved for something. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You're saved for his kingdom come and his will be done. That kingdom is a kingdom of people just like you. A new humanity in Christ, the church, a family, a Delphoi, brothers and sisters. You are called to live life together with them authentically in Christ and for Christ. The Bible is a book about relationships. God is a family who makes families. If you believe in Jesus, you have been familified. Huh? Say familified. Say familified like you're excited about it. Familified. That's a big deal because we just read the research. This isn't me just nitpicking. You can go Google this today. I challenge you. Find research that says the opposite. We are more lonely, isolated, depressed, anxious, suicidal than any situation in all of history. Welcome to America. Welcome to Western life. Europe's the same way. Back in 2008, Britain hired the first minister of, of loneliness. And then Japan and Sweden followed suit. Australia's looking at doing it. They literally have a government official that's trying to connect people because of the loneliness issue. It's a big deal. And the Bible tells us if you believe in Jesus, you've been familified because you were created for a relationship and you can't do it. You're going to break it. But the blood of Jesus can. Listen, church. Blood is thicker than water. It's Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood is what unifies you. And I will never get sick of preaching that because I've seen it personally in my life. I've watched several of you go through incredibly hard, awful odds and be able to bear it because of King Jesus working through his church. Apart from Christ and his church, you have you. You deciding, you figuring it out. And that leads to scarcity mentality. That leads to fear. That leads to escapism. Of course, we have more drugs, alcohol, sex, pot, porn, whatever it is, of course, because we have to escape the reality that we can't do it on our own. And our culture is telling you individually, you can do whatever you want, you can be whoever you want. And we're just sick of ever becoming who we're supposed to be. Are any of you weary? I forget the philosopher, I think it was Carl Jung, who said, man, we're just sick of ever becoming. Golly, are you weary of ever growing to be what you're supposed to be? It's because your identity is meant to be wrapped in King Jesus. You are who Christ says you are, not who you become, not who the culture says you are. You are a child of God bought by King Jesus' blood. Church, Romans 12, verses 4 and 5 says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Say members of one another. 
Uh, this concept is one of my favorite concepts of Paul. It's a pretty simple analogy. I, uh, he unpacks it more in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. You note takers, write down 1 Corinthians 12. Go le- read it later. But my left hand has my left fingers. My right hand has my right fingers. My right fingers don't go on my left hand because then wearing gloves would be very confusing and I'd be really annoyed when I'm purchasing hunting gloves. But also, when I'm trying to do a basic function, then I would struggle in life if my left hand were my right hand, my right hand were my left hand because my thumbs would be on the opposite side, picking things up. I can't even imagine how I'd play guitar, shoot a bow. All these things would be so much difficult. But also, more importantly, that's silly. That's just hands. My eyes are not my sniffer because my peepers here can't, can't need to sniff stuff because that's not what they do. And so it'd be really confusing if I was sniffing with my eyes and my eyes were like, you know what? I don't need to sniff this food. I just need to... <coughs> smells good. That doesn't make any sense. And Paul's, it's so silly, right? I'm sorry, children, you love this, right? But Paul's picking up on that analogy and saying, hey, your whole body has individual parts, but it's all one. And that matters when you try to do a deep squat or you try to do a push-up. Let's do it. Just one push-up. We'll make it into a burpee. All right, there it is, right? My members matter when I'm doing that. And if everything was a left foot, I'd do a real goofy burpee. Wouldn't even make sense. Now add that to anything else in life. Think about parenting, think about church, think about worship. And it says that we're members of one another, meaning some of you are the left hand and you'll live longer because lefties live longer statistically. Some of you, some of you are the foot. Some of you think that you're the butt, but get past that because that's not the point. You're still members of one body. You're still here right? The first Corinthians help would tell us that we honor the dishonorable parts. We're working together as one. So why do we dedicate babies? What's the whole point? Why, how does this all connect? Because when I started at Memorial and God told us not to move to Springfield and he said, stay here. A youth minister was here, he left and there's a lot of tension and I just loved the youth kids. I was spending time with them. And, and I remember on Wednesday mornings, Chick-fil-A had free breakfast. I was like, man, there's a couple of these kids I got to connect with. So uh, I drive to the West End of Jeff City or, or to Wardsville. Uh, I think about Conrad specifically. Um, I don't remember how old he was, but I'd pick Conrad up in my vehicle. And he'd make fun of it because I've always driven jalopies. Uh, he's a car guy. Uh, but, but I'd pick him up and take him to Chick-fil-A for free breakfast. And we'd pray. And I'd ask him how things are going in his life. And I'd drop him off for school. And we'd pray. And Conrad grew up in the youth group, and, and eventually Tisha became his youth minister. Who saw that coming, right? And Tisha became his youth minister. And, and then all of a sudden now, on Sundays, you know what Conrad does on Sundays? Conrad teaches my kids. And so my kids are getting to hear something about faith from Conrad's life that, that, that I'm trying to teach them, but they hear it slightly differently. And, and all of a sudden, my kids repeat to me things Miss Bridget tells them on Wednesday nights that, that we've been trying to tell them for months. But all of a sudden, Bridget says it, and it just connects, right? Or, or Miss Debbie, or, or, or Carrie, or whoever it is. And I remember in my life, my wife has told me several times, hey, don't let what other people think crush you. Trust your identity in Christ. But I remember the first couple weeks I was the pastor here, there was, there was some people here that were really upset about something. I don't even remember what it was. And they were just really mad at me. And I was just getting laid into. And I was like, I can't do this, God. If these people are going to, like, if this is going to be the, is this is the standard. Is people just lashing and being angry when we're just trying to teach them to be one body? This is terrible. That's why I never wanted to be a higher holy man. And I was just, I remember I walked back from every meeting. I walked back here and I cried. And I was like, I don't want people to see me cry because I'm you know, Pastor David. So I like, then I came up here and Jason Sullivan walked up to me. And I don't even remember what he said, but it was something in the effect of some people just need to be unhappy and you need to move on. You need to let it roll off you. That's what he said. 
And you start seeing the connection of, of Jason speaking that into my life, and, and then I'm taking Conrad to breakfast, and now Conrad's teaching my kids, this is what it means to be one body. This is why we dedicate babies. Not because we're a room full of heroes. None of us are heroes. King Jesus is the hero. We're guiding each other. We're growing together. Some of you don't know, but maybe baby Aspen or, or Titus is going to be discipling your grandkids or great-grandkids in the future. Maybe this room is going to be filled with people. Maybe one of these babies we just take, maybe Owen's going to have my job in 25, 30 years. You don't know what's going to happen. But Jesus does, and we're all one body for that reason. We look to Jesus because he's the hero. We all have a part to play. Conrad's playing his part. God's called him to be there on Sunday mornings. And Conrad might not even say, God called me. He might say, my mom asked me, and I said yes. But God works all good things out. And that's what he's doing. Praise God. We don't have any men that help serve on Wednesday nights in kids' area. So maybe it's not even about God calling you. Maybe it's just about acknowledging this is the right thing to do. Those women who are pouring into these boys trying to teach them that God's their father, they need men up there. Good fathers. They need men. And so maybe God's calling you to that. And the whole point of the sermon isn't that, oh, men, you're failing. That's not the point. But there are needs that we fill. And when you see the examples of how God's done that, when I can look and scan and see how many of you are intricate to each other's lives through life group, through how we reach out, and then you see this baby dedication, what are we doing? These babies aren't going to remember this moment. Right? They don't remember it. The, the parents might remember it. What we're doing is we're saying, before God, we dedicate these babies to him because we are one body. And we need each other to grow into Christ. Because I can't parent my kids perfectly. But some of you, the combination of you, could do it better than just Nikki and I could on our own. I can't live my life perfectly. I couldn't get past addiction on my own. I couldn't, I couldn't, so many people I walked through, I couldn't do it on my own. But God has called us to live in community together. And this is why John tells us, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take some time. Here in a moment, music's going to play. Lights are going to dim for those of you who feel uncomfortable with lighting and such, but you're going to get a chance to pray. And I would encourage you not to make this an individual moment. I would encourage you to gather with someone. Maybe there was a family up here, like, man, I need to go pray with them. I need to let them know I'm on their team. I need to let them know that, that God wants me to let them know I'm, I'm all for you. I don't even know you, but I'm all for you. Maybe there's someone in this room that you need to go thank. Say, thank you for showing me who Jesus is because Jesus is in a perfect community with his Father. Maybe there's someone you just need to go thank. Maybe this is just like, ugh, uncomfortable prayer time with people I don't know. I'm going to go do it because the Bible told me to and that's it. This is uncomfortable. I'm introverted and I hate it. That's fine. We're going to be obedient. We're going to pray together. Maybe you've got stuff going on. You don't want anyone to talk to you. Sit there and pray to yourself and pray that God would show you what these right relationships look like, what his church, what his body looks like. We're going to have three different slides that move during this time. They'll give you language to pray if you don't know what to pray for. We're going to take about three to five minutes now as one body to pray. I'm going to pray, and then you're going to move. You're going to pray with each other, and eventually, after three to five minutes or so, the band will come up, and then we'll worship together. Why? Why are we doing these things? Because when Jesus was asked how to pray... How to talk to God the Father. How to, you're God, how do you do this thing? How do you even commune with the, the holy, with the big deity? Jesus started with two phrases. Our Father. Not my Father. Jesus taught us to pray our Father. Meaning we're praying together. 
Even if you're praying by yourself, you're praying our Father, recognizing that He is the one that binds us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your name is above everything, even in ways I don't recognize. May Your kingdom come and Your will be done. I'm going to pray, and then you're going to move and pray with each other. Father, thank You for this time. I pray that, uh, that only your words would be heard in this moment, that your spirit would guide us. We want to live as your kingdom come, as your church, your new humanity, knowing for certain that we are unified by the blood of King Jesus, that you have brought us from far in to be a family in Christ. I pray that your spirit would lay that on us this moment. I pray for the loneliness, the anxiety, the depression, the the suicide, the heaviness, the the pride, all the things that cause us to isolate and feel heavy in these moments. God, I pray your spirit would break through that because we believe there's power in the name of Jesus. We believe there's power in your spirit. Guide us now as we pray together, as we live like your body, set apart for you, empowered by your spirit in the name of Jesus. May we see your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. Take time to move and pray together now.